Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Hey, Ray. Hey, Marcus. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Woke up a little bit sore after a big bike ride yesterday and did what I tend to do when I wake up really sore is grab a little CBD and I'm feeling better. That's good. You know, our joints don't take exercise and extreme activities very well the older we get. And a lot of people who are younger are experiencing the same thing. That's why we're pretty excited about our sponsor, One CBD. And a lot of people seem interested in the fact that One CBD is consciously created. They use 100% organic sources. They employ a holistic removal of all the THC. And they select the best strains. And the strain is very important when working with controlling pain. They are also halal and kosher compliant. They are non-GMO. They are made in the USA. And we've set it up so that you can save 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE. I, I don't know. We're, we're imbalanced, but we're using the code <laughs> BALANCE, so keep that in mind. You go to OneCBD.com, that's O-N-E-C-B-D.com, and they're at OneCBDLife on Twitter if you want to follow them there. CBD in all forms, liquid, gel caps, and they give you the choice. All you have to do is hit their website, OneCBD.com. It's OneCBD. Manage your pain and achieve a renewed sense of balance. How's it going, Marcus? Not bad. How you doing, Ray? I feel like Victor Frankenstein today. Are you creating something new? I think we are, aren't we? That's what we've kind of talked about. This episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll kind of combines a couple things that we do. And so we thought, oh, we're putting together body parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's uh, what we call the Frankenstein episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Brought to you, as always, by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And by 1CBD. Check them out at onecbd.com. I don't think our Frankenstein is going to suffer the kind of pain that Ty would recommend 1CBD for, <laughs> but he might need it anyway. I don't know. There uh, might be a little bit of CBD needed when we tell some of the stories of the two brothers we're going to be discussing. That song, Love Hurts, it's so true when it comes to sibling rivalries, which is one half of what we're talking about today. Uh, The sibling rivalry between Ray and Dave Davis, as they're actually called in England, not Davies, which is the Americanization of their name. And we're going to meld it together. I don't know how we're going to stitch it up, but it's going to be matched with an episode of Birthday Twins, which includes Dave Davies and an American singer that really had her moment, but hasn't been a big star through the years. But we found out that he was born on the same day in the same year as Melanie Safka. And I thought we better dig into this. Kind of like digging up the bodies to make the Frankenstein. I wonder if those two have anything in common being that they were born on the same day like Bobby Keys and Keith Richards. Well, we know they weren't in the same band, right? We definitely know that. And we don't even know if they interacted, do we? I see no evidence of that. But we'll get into that in the second half. I think we should start with the Brothers Davies. What do you think? I think that's a fantastic idea. It's not unknown that those two have had a long uh, toxic relationship, I guess you could say, as Ray and Dave have both described it to the media. A perfect example of toxicity that inhibits creativity and keeps artists who are brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters, from reaching their maximum potential in their career because they spent more time fighting through the years than they spent making great records. And they made amazing music together. Absolutely incredible music. Because of their toxic relationship, we're not allowed in America for four years. And part of Really? I didn't know that. What was that all about? They got banned for a couple of issues. They were fighting on stage. They were doing a bunch of stuff, but they got a four-year ban in the USA. And that actually hurt their growth growth as a band in the United States as far as followers go for a while, and it took them a while to build back up. Do you know when that happened? What time period that was? Yeah, I'll tell you right now. Let me grab my notes on that. I Because I'm thinking, who the fuck has the authority to ban a band other than the government? And I never heard of the U.S. government saying, don't you come over here, you naughty boys. It- I mean- at drug con- busts and various other things, sure. Basically, it was at the conclusion of the summer of their 65 American tour, the Kinks were banned uh-huh. from re-entering the United States by the American government for unspecified wow. reasons. And because we're jerk-offs of- and we don't like anybody who doesn't get along on stage? I, I don't get it, man. I really never heard of this. But obviously, you found the facts, and yeah. that's bullshit in my mind. A, yeah, they were a, a hard-drinking perfect- party band, and they drank and partied really hard. And I think that... Uh, mm. Let's see. Maybe it was the shenanigans that went on, the hotel rooms, the fights. That was spawned by the the sibling rivalry, but maybe that's the real reason, not the fact that they couldn't get along. One of the big reasons that had to do with it was a fight on stage between Mick Avery and Dave Davies that left Dave Davies in the hospital and landed Avery in jail. Basically, Dave went after Avery, started a fight with him. Avery took the symbol and knocked his ass out cold. All I could say is if you're in a band with siblings, 
you get to the point where you can't fucking take it anymore because they just don't understand what they have and what they're pissing away. And, and it goes on to affect all the other members in a band. Another thing you have to look into and consider is the fact that they became super famous as teenagers. Yeah, they were pretty young. They were the youngest. I think they were youngest of eight and the only two boys. Yes. Probably had wide berth from it, mom and dad who were just, you know, your average folks raising a family there. They started in North London. They moved them to Muswell Hill, which is where the kinks identity as the muswell hillbillies came from yeah serving the old ways from being abused protecting the new ways for me and for you what more can we do we are the draft beer preservation society god save mrs moss from good old mother Riley. One of the things that had an impact on who Ray was is the day he got his first guitar from his sister Renee, later that night she dropped dead suddenly. What? I never knew that. And then Dave Davies got his underage girlfriend, both he and his girlfriend were 15, got her pregnant, and then he didn't even get to meet his daughter until 30 years later, 35 years later. I did hear something about that. Or 35 years later, because both of their parents kept them apart for so long. We were like, oh yeah, you had a baby, we're not letting you guys near each other. And that kind of messed them up. All of this can kind of make things uneasy in a household. I mean, and and Dave is three years raised junior, so you got uh, your youngest are at home they're 15 and 18 the young one goes and gets his girlfriend pregnant it causes tension maybe it causes problems between the brothers or at least dave and mom and dad and that leads to tensions between him and ray from an early age maybe i mean i think definitely family upbringing had to do with it but it seems like a lot of the kids especially the british kids that grew up in poor blue collar areas spent a lot more time fighting their way through childhood like there was a lot of fighting your way through childhood and it seemed that that was very common amongst the kids like the muswell hillbillies etc and the kids in the streets and that was one of their activities and i may be wrong but that's what it seems like those guys are all badass fighters are shorter guys and littler guys but boy man those guys <laughs> pack punches hard they had to right they Seriously. had to Seriously. well one of the other things they played at was skiffle Yes. Uh, they got together with guys who would be part of their future, like Pete Quaife and a couple of other friends. And they started playing the skiffle, which was real popular then. We've talked about that in uh, previous episodes. And that was the basis of them getting into rock and roll. And of course, I think everybody knows what happens when the kinks went to rock and roll and Dave slid up the cone in his amplifier for You Really Got Me. <laughs> really changed the sound of what rock and roll could be. Absolutely, and there are a lot of people that say that that is the first first song that really gave the idea or paved the way for metal, for punk, for the heavier sound. Gave the sound. sonic idea, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of people who say that and believe that they did something nobody else had done at that time, and they changed the sound. And to this day, do you still get the feels when you hear You Really Got Me? You know it, first second. <laughs> yep. No matter who's playing, because it inspired Eddie and every a million other guitar players to play rock and roll. Absolutely. They just walloped you with that sound, and I still get goosebumps every time I hear it. And when I have time, I try to spike it in once in a while on the radio as well, because it's that kind of song. Girl, you really 
think that maybe the fact that Dave being the younger brother, the little brother, but being so incredibly innovative and talented got under Ray's skin a little. So maybe he didn't, he had, he looked at him like the pesky little brother. And then he comes up with all these ideas and he's like, what are you doing, man? And then boom, I think that sound contributed to them being part of the British invasion. And when you think about what was going on, just as the kinks were hitting kind of was the afterglow that that explosive feel that, wow, there's more than just the Beatles and a couple other bands involved here. Mm-hmm. There's the Who and the Kinks. And this was part of what really made the British invasion an ongoing assault on our auditory senses here in the U.S. You're right. And I'm glad you mentioned the Who as well. And I think the Yardbirds, you had all these bands. Right. As part, you know, you had all these bands that were part of the British invasion, but they all sounded different. It wasn't the same manufactured sound. Each one of them had a unique style, a unique attitude, and a sound that was unique. They were great. They really were in their early days, and they worked really hard to perfect that craft. And while they played hard, they worked equally hard. Here's something that I didn't know. They crossed paths with Rod Stewart in those early days. He was one of a string of lead vocalists in the group that they had formed uh, before the Kinks. And they performed in early 62 with Rod. He then went on to form his own group. Everybody went solo in those days. In fact, it's funny because in Rod's case, solo didn't mean so low that nobody ever hears from you again. It was Rod Stewart and the Moonrakers was his next thing on his way towards becoming his own superstar in rock and roll. Wow. Did not know that. Also, did you know that Mick Avery played one live gig with the Rolling stones i did not until we were looking through uh looking at notes for this stuff and i went and never knew that and that was early on too yeah. right that was very early on as well and that's why the kinks thought that they would want to have him in their band because he advertised as a jazz drummer as well as the fact that he had played one gig with the rolling stones and they saw the ad and the davies were like this is our guy to replace the other guy and they knew it well we kind of mentioned the yardbirds and here's a cross between the kinks and the yardbirds family tree um ray went to art school what's it called Hornsley College of Art. I don't even know if it's still there. And he was studying all of it. They didn't just teach you how to sketch and stuff. It was music. It was art. It was theater and film. There's nothing more basic than the blues. And few people in England know more about them than Alexis Corner. Alexis Corner's Blues Incorporated played at the college when Ray was there. And he actually went to Corner and asked for advice about what to do. And he suggested their first manager, who used to manage the Yardbirds, uh, Giorgio Gomolsky. I don't even know. I never heard of him before. So there's an intersection there between the Yardbirds, or pre-Yardbirds, in the Blues Incorporated category, and early pre-Kinks Davis Brothers. Again, we find out more and more how these cats are all connected in some way. And it's pretty mild blowing how connected these cats were and how their paths crossed so often. Here's another little crossing, and that's Ray Davies playing in a band called the Dave Hunt Band, briefly, Mm -hmm. with Charlie Watts playing the drums. That's crazy. And then he went on to another band and then another band. And when it got around to it, Dave just kind of realized, despite their issues which were already there i guess to some degree that they should start a band and if you're looking marcus as we always are for reasons why i hate you you're my brother 
Yeah. Uh, it could be the fact that it was the Ray Davis Quartet and not the Davis Brothers, you know. Ray was already becoming a name brand, and Dave was the little brother who didn't get any respect. And as the youngest, well, the youngest usually gets the short end of the stick anyway, right? That's true. The youngest always does get the short end. Not always, but most of the time. You are right about that. I can understand. Well, out of eight. Imagine being one of eight because oh, we had four, and I know mom and dad get worn out by four, five, six. By the yeah. last couple there, they were, just it, behave, boys. It's, it's the kids be take, like your sisters. Yeah, it's you know, Lord of I'm the sure Flies. That didn't make them happy. It's Lord of the Flies. The p- kids are taking <laughs> care of the pa- other kids, the youngest at that point, because the parents are so burned out. I don't know. I mean, I can understand that competitiveness between Ray and Dave because my brother and I were not competitive with each other. I played tennis. He played baseball. But he was that kid who was so good at everything that everything came easy for him as far as sports and athletics go. Well, maybe that's part of it, Marcus, because Ray's out there. He's fronting his own band. He's good looking. He's uh, playing guitar and Dave is just again the little brother at home until he comes along and helps him to become a superstar and a hall of famer and he's a good looking kid too and he's got a lot lot of style and a lot of pizzazz as well and he was pretty wild I could see where Ray maybe got a little jealous of his brother in some of the ways or the other way around I think it was mutual oh definitely it was mutual they both it was the grass was always greener with the brothers what he's got is way better than what I've got so the whole little group of friends keeps playing they keep forming and breaking up different bands I guess a few members change get a new name and eventually they settle on the Ravens I don't need you And they're working as the Ravens, and they got a manager, and they're trying to, you know, do what everybody's doing in those days, which was get inside a studio and make a side or two to see if you had a chance to break out. Eventually, though, they settle on a name change again, and they become the Kinks. The story behind the naming of the Kinks is pretty funny. They wanted something a little edgy. They wanted something a little different, but... To hear naughty. Each, they wanted yeah. to be naughty boys because that's the whole point. Manager Robert Wace tells a different story than Ray Davies. And Ray Davies' account says basically Larry Page coined the name by referring to their kinky fashion sense. Davies quoted him as saying, the way you look and the clothes you wear, you ought to, you ought to be called the kinks. I've never liked that name, Ray stated. So. It's funny because you get popular with a name you don't like, and it just all happens. I wonder how many other groups are out there that didn't really like their name, but hey, we're stuck with it now. That's a good question. We should actually look into that for an episode, find out which bands didn't like their names. We could do that. Absolutely. I think we could ask people. I don't know how many people will tell us. Yeah, that's true. Back to the brothers of toxicity and their fights. I mean, they seem to have been fighting the whole time, up and down. All the time. Yeah, and it never got to the Eagles um, 
moment where they've threatened to kick each other's ass on stage in an open kind of thing, but it was not good. And uh, there was that incident where Avery had enough and clocked David in the head with a symbol. The brothers, though, their rivalry, I think, goes back to being the two youngest. And it continues even as they're adding another wave to the British invasion with songs like All Day and All the Night, You Really Got Me and all that. Their first hits before they started to evolve, because the kinks eventually evolved, and we'll talk about that when we do a full episode. And I wonder... If the incident with the slicing of the cone, June 15th, 1964 at Pi Studios, I wonder if that's part of what pissed Ray off. That his brother thought of that? With the- yeah, I, it could be, you know, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. He's the big guy. He's the big brother. He's, he's in the, charge. He's the leader of the band. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his younger brother comes in and just decides, hey, you know what? What'll happen if I do this? And he does it, and it just changes rock and roll. Well, Ray wrote, you really got me. And then Dave altered it because everybody was playing clean. Even the guys who were rough and ready, the Link Rays of the world, right? Yeah. Everybody was still playing pretty clean until you got to that song and and the other one was all day and all the night too they was same kind of tone now do you think that tone also inspired the psychedelia and the proto-punk of the 60s i think that if you ask the guys who were there members of the stooges and uh, the mc5 and stuff they would probably say to some degree yeah our experience has been i think when you go and look at the number of people early members of the punk movement and some of the other influences, even early metalers, right? Mm -hmm. They look at those records, those early kinks records that set a tone literally. Mm -hmm. And I think that you could say that they had some effect on garage rock for sure. Punk rock metal and probably even other forms that have heavy fuzzy guitars in them and there's a ton i just heard the new malchmas record it's awesome by the way oh yeah well he was on uh, world cafe talking about the failed pavement reunion because of the pandemic oh. and then he was playing stuff from his new record and i'm going steven you're so malchmas you know that it's still paying off that is still paying off in new music and in new bands and a lot of the heaviness stems from that and the who because you know pete would like to Ten the high watts all the way up. Yeah. Deafen everyone in the first ten rows. He was a cleaner guitarist in the earlier days. Yes. They just went as loud as they could handle, and then they just had this attitude that they were going to smash everybody in the front row. You're going to get guitar shards in the side of your head if you're in the first ten <laughs> rows. <laughs> but even as they progressed, though, uh, songs that had a softer tone, like Tired of Waiting for You, it still had that stepped it up on the solo edge. And that edge, I guess you'd say that guitar edge is probably very indicative of the sibling rivalry between Ray and Dave Davies, which is what we're talking about, sibling rivalries here yep. on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. You know, their their styles were very opposite in very many ways as well, so everything about them seems to be opposite. And even though, the, even though they fought hardcore and really don't like each other, there's still a lot of deep love there. And it seems like they've still protected each other in certain ways as well over the decades, even though they really haven't liked each other. Two thoughts. First, when Ray got shot, um, oh. I think that that brought Dave closer to him because he realized what, could, what he could have lost, right? Yep. Through the 60s, in the 70s, 
and almost to the 80s, they slug their way through every studio and stage all over the world, yelling and screaming, always, you know, giving each other the piss off, right? Mm -hmm. And then they stop working together. Mm -hmm. And then they try. No. So what they've had is the literal Mexican standoff between two brothers. Um, the last few years, it's finally kind of thawed out a little bit. There's been talk about working together in the studio. One will say something. The other one didn't want him to say it. So the one who didn't want him to say it gets pissed off and it kind of cools things off and stops things, slows things down. But almost like at a glacier pace, although maybe that's a bad comparison here as we watch all the glaciers melt into the sea, they've kind of inched towards new music and releasing and recording new music. But I'm still skeptical that they're going to be able to, to heal that divide after all the decades and somehow make some new music that will make the Kings fans happy. I think that they're going to do it. I think being in this, I think this pandemic may even be helping them because they had been working on new music together. I think it's been three of the four members have been in right. studio spending time together writing songs. And all reports that we've read from people who have spoken to them are that it's positive and it's good and they're really getting along. So finally at like 71 and 74, they're not as crotchety old men as you would think, but they're actually <laughs> coming to peace with some shit. Well, you know what, man? If you don't get it by the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you you're, you got a real challenge towards ever, quote unquote, getting it. You know, I think that maybe they've realized what they pissed away and how much more the kinks could have been. Because if you remember, after they went through their initial burst of hits in the 60s, they became a different kind of band. They did different forms. Mm -hmm. uh, Celluloid Heroes is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Soft music stretched out all the way through, thematic like a movie. Everybody's a dreamer. Everybody's a star. And everybody's in movies. It doesn't matter who you are. There are stars in every city. In every house and on every street And if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard The names are written yeah, the what was it? The village, the preservation of the Village Green Society. Yeah, stuff like that. It was all different, and they went through all those different changes, and then they kind of like started to, to fade a little bit. Signed with Arista, they put out Sleepwalker. Everybody got problems, buddy. I got mine. When And they have a whole nother life in the late 70s into the 80s. That's when I finally saw them was in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I'd say probably brought in some new fans, a new generation of rock fans to the band. Destroyer's a song that really got a lot Dude, of people new to that Dude, you're killing me. You know, I'm sitting here, and you know what song's playing in my head while I'm talking? Destroyer. Paranoia may destroy you. I, I remember hearing that as a kid and being blown away. I knew you really got me all day and all of the night, and a few others, Lola, I knew, but man... Destroyer just really, really walloped me. And it brought back that old school feel of the Kinks in so many ways. It wasn't as fast as some of their early stuff, but it had that heaviness and that attitude. And even the uh, song depth is pretty, you know. It's, yeah. 
you know, because Bay had a nervous breakdown in like 66, tried to OD on stage. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, took what a bunch of fuck? pills during his di- during his divorce, after uh, he got divorced. Like, just some crazy stuff. These guys were wild and nuts, and it sounds like their rivalry definitely added to some of the mental health issues. To wrap it all up in a bow, in my <laughs> mind, <laughs> somebody bow. who heard... Heard them coming out of the radio in the mid '60s, my AM radio, and has been a fan of their what they do pretty much straight through. Mm-hmm. If they can manage to put together a great Kinks record and release it, because I love them and I've listened to all their solo material over the last couple decades, and it's okay. I like really like some of it, but if they can do that, I think it might permanently, finally heal the rift between them. And maybe the end of the story is brothers embracing and victory at the end and not in separate corners cursing the other. That would be a nice way to end that story, especially after some of the hardships that they've had and some of the life choices they've made. So it would be nice to see that. And that's a great spot. To wrap up our story of the sibling rivalries, the Davis brothers from the Kinks on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. You thirsty, bro? I am thirsty. It's time for a pint of Crooked Eye. You know, one of the things that I appreciate is anytime I go into Crooked Eye Brewery right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro, I always feel good. And that includes feeling safe about where we're hanging out. You know what I'm talking about, Marcus? I definitely know what you're talking about, as during the COVID pandemic, it is important that people feel safe when they're going out and about. Very important. And Crooked Eye has that warm, safe vibe. And they're doing everything according to the governor's directions. They're, they know that that's what's in everyone's best interest. But they're still serving, Marcus. That's right. The takeout, your growler, your crowler, your 16-ounce cans, all still there. All the wonderful flavors that you love about Crooked Eye Brewery. And don't forget when you stop in to get your takeout brews, wear a mask. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that Pete and Paul and Jeff and everybody, and we're learning too, is that it's a constantly changing landscape when it comes to what's going on. So I would urge all of you to follow Crooked Eye Brewery on Facebook, and you'll find out just what's going on there today, tomorrow, next week, and as things change. Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014, and we thank them for their support of the podcast. We're back on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, the Frankenstein edition. We've done the sibling rivalry part where Dave and Ray duke it out through the decades. Now, the other part that we're melding together, like Victor Frankenstein, is a concept we call birthday twins. When people are born on the same day in the same year, they're birthday twins. And there's a lot of rock and rollers who are birthday twins. Isn't it surprising how many we found? Yep, we'll find some triplets and some quadruplets at some point as well. I found a near miss that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Born one day apart in the same band. That's the kind of stuff that we find when we go out there looking for shit. This part is interesting because it Frankensteins together Dave Davis from the first half and a woman that you know as Melanie. Most people just know her as Melanie, but her name is Melanie Ann Safka. Her married name is, I can't even say it. Is that Shekerik? Shekerik. Shekerik, but everybody pretty much knows her as Melanie, and most people know her for her big hits. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. 
Uh, that was big, and she was one of only three solo women to appear at Woodstock. I knew a little bit about her, not very much, just familiar with the songs and her cover of Ruby Tuesday is probably one of the most uh, familiar. I am more so than the uh, brand new key song, which I am familiar with, but I definitely am more familiar with her version of Ruby Tuesday, and I have no idea how. I don't either because I never remember hearing that on the radio ever. And uh, she was on Buddha Man. That's a Cheech and Chong line. Oh, yeah. He's with Motown, ain't he? No, man. Yeah, he's I played not. with that dude, oh. too. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's yeah. a good singer, man. No, no. Hold on, man. He's not with Motown, man. Well, then he's with Buddha. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I th- always thought she was uh, British, but she's from the U.S. Red Bank, New and, Jersey. Yeah, how about that shit? So she's a she's a local. Grew up in Long Branch and uh, performed in small places, and then ended up singing in folk clubs like uh, the Bitter End, which is a legendary folk club. It's like the CBGBs of folk. So, born on the same day, taking a completely different path, she got her career start a little later because, you know, Dave got into the kinks and all the bands with his brother before he was 18. But they're born on the same day. He goes on to become a rock and roll Hall of Famer with his brother and the kinks. And Melanie goes on to have a nice life, a little career, started singing in the clubs in Greenwich Village, and she got her first record contract with Columbia in the U.S., that was before she went with Buddha, man. Buddha Records. Yeah. I remember that label. I can't remember oh. who else was on it. Who else was on it? A, few a big ton. Ends. A ton. But you know what? If you go back and listen to the Kenny Aronson interview, he talks about the Buddha Records oh, days right. and how that whole thing. And Kama Sutra was tied to it, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he crossed paths with Melanie in the studio during that time period. If we get him back on the podcast, we've got to ask. We definitely have to ask. The song that Melanie became most famous for really was Lay Down, Candles in the Rain was the subtitle, and it was written about her experience at Woodstock.
started playing other festivals, and that Woodstock appearance, it made a lot of people aware of who she was, and it really helped her in a lot of ways. Additionally, it, it took her out of the one-hit wonder pantheon and put her on a different path, uh, more as a folk singer. And I was reading up on her. Like I said, I don't know a lot about her, but there was a court injunction banning the Powder Ridge Rock Festival in 1970, and she was the only person who de- defied that order, and she played, and her stage was powered by softy, like Mr. Softy Trucks. That's crazy. That's <laughs> that totally so insane. funny, because they, they pulled up Mr. Trucks. Softy. That was the concessions. They had a small stage, and then they ran power to the PA off the Mr. Softy Truck. And it's hysterical. Played. That's awesome. But and... she would go on to play at the Isle of Wight Festival and a lot of uh, big festivals, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Look what they done to my song. Look what they done to my song. It was the only thing that I could do half right, and it's turning out all wrong. Look what they done to my song. But, you know, we were talking about the uh, innuendo and brand new key. You know, in America in that period of time, some of the people in uh, the radio business kind of figured out what the key thing was all about and actually banned that song from some top 40 stations. Are you serious? It got banned in the United States? I mean, okay, it's kind of a deep innuendo, but it's in there. And a couple people picked up on it. You know, some people will detect anything and be offended by it. And that's kind of what happened there with the brand new key. But it still became a huge hit. Thank God for the PMRC, man. <laughs> well, this was before I know, Tipper and her gang uh, did their thing. Well before. They probably loved that song, too. I'll bet they did. Growing up. I bet all the PMRC hypocrites uh, loved that song. But whoever was doing that kind of business in 1971, can you imagine they're listening to it or 1972 and they're singing along and they're driving in their car and the kids are in the back of the car and they're singing along and they go, wait a minute, I run 10 radio stations. I'm pulling that record tomorrow. Yep. You know, ah. like something like that could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> but she got married. Uh, she met Peter uh, Shekerick, her husband. Uh, By the way, he was also her producer at one point. She didn't go on to superstardom. Uh, She didn't fight publicly with her siblings, unlike David Russell Gordon Davis. (laughs) The thing I kept thinking of, because we were looking for connections, right? Mm -hmm. Why didn't the Kinks play Woodstock? They were banned in 69. Oh, they were still under that band. But she played Isle of Wight in 70, so could they have played together in 70? We'll have to look and see if the Kinks were on the bill in that 70s show. Hold on a second. Isle of Wight. And I'm already checking Hello, research committee. (laughs) Research committee, could you get on this? Wait a minute. We're looking for the results right now. Hold on a second. Isle of Wight in 1970. Text back from the research department. No evidence that the Kinks played at the Isle of Wight Festival the year she played in 1970. Let's see. Well, they weren't both there at the Isle of Wight, but somebody else was, right? Keith Moon was there, and he introduced Melanie on stage that night, and she ended up getting like four monster standing ovations. I guess they really dug her performance. She was that hot at that point. 
you know, from Woodstock forward. Before that, she had the hit, but Woodstock put her on a bigger platform, and that led to all this other stuff happening in a real career for her. The folk community is very interesting because I don't know a lot about it, so we'll have to delve into it at some point. But it seems like their fans were extremely passionate, extremely vocal, and really, really knew these musicians. I was part of a couple different folk scenes, so I kind of get the feel for it. But historically speaking, you really got to dig in to find it. But look at what happened when we were talking about Joan Baez in our Women of Rock episode, right? Yeah. Once she caught on on her first few Vanguard records, everyone sold half a million copies for gold, which tells you what? That the folk community was completely supportive of any rising or budding superstar within their community. True. And and that atmosphere would lead to them accepting Bob Dylan, at least initially. <laughs> and, you know, Melanie's another person who owes a lot to Joan uh, for opening all those doors for women early on for the folk and folk rock movements. And uh, I suspect, I don't really know where she lives or what she does these days, but I suspect that she's doing well. I would suspect she's somewhere in the Northeast as she, both she and her uh, husband are from this area. He's... Now, this is a perfect example, Marcus, of where we need one of you to tell us if you know where she is and have her get in touch with us by emailing us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you know of some connection between Melanie and Dave Davies, we would love to hear it. If you know that they played together at some festival or something like that in Europe or the United States in the early 70s, please let us know. Again, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, Twitter at Imbalanced Histo, and soon Instagram as well. So while you were just spieling, I did a quick Google search. Apparently she lives in Nashville these days. I wonder if she's working in music in some way. Don't know. Maybe we should reach out and find her. Absolutely. I don't know that she ever met Dave Davies, but they are linked forever by their birth date. And they are the subject of this episode of Birthday Twins, melded with an episode of sibling rivalries. Yeah, we never do anything too conventional for too long here on this podcast, do we, partner? Not at all. So we uh, we want to wrap it up, though, with Melanie and Dave Davies' Birthday Twins. We've got some more, and we'll be talking more about Birthday Twins, and we'll be talking more about the sibling rivalries in rock and roll as well as we move forward here on our little podcast. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. So if you have any info to add to this Frankenstein of a conversation, please just email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com, a good way to get in touch with us. And we thank you for your support and for any of those stars you're putting out there, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Collective and proudly moving into our second year with the boys, right? Yeah, soon to be our second year with the Pantheon Podcast Network, and they've been great. We really like it. And if you like music-based podcasts and you're looking for something else on top of what we're bringing, check out the other music podcasts in the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you like to read, we have the Rock and Roll Librarian, who does some great podcasts about some of the great rock and roll books out there. Martin Popoff, who not only writes books, but knows music really well. You have Rock and Roll Archaeology with Christian Swain. So there's so many good podcasts in the Pantheon Network that you should look into if you like music. And we're glad you found us wherever you found us. Whatever part of this little blue marble you live on, 
God, there's people listening everywhere, Marcus. I know. It's so cool. Please let us know where you are if you're listening from out of town. We'd love to say hi and say thanks. So, out of town? Out of town. Out of this country. Out of this, yeah. Out of out this of your planet. Mind. You, know what I, you, know what, you know what I want to find out? Uh, a lot of the things when we check for towns and cities and all that, there's a big chunk of people who are listed as unknown because they live in small places that aren't like major city adjacent and... And don't register in some way. So if that's you... Put your hand up. You don't have to do it publicly. You can just send us an email at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. That's a good way to be in touch. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Crooked Eye Brewery and 1CBD. You can find out all about them on the show page at Pantheon Podcasts or on our website, imbalancehistory.com. Well, that's going to do it for the Frankenstein episode. Uh, melding sibling rivalries and birthday twins. And when we get another crazy idea like this, I don't think it'll be the werewolf unless we find a way to meld Warren Zevon with something. But it's fun to do different things. We like adventuring. We like exploring. And we hope you do too. And we thank you for listening. I'm Ray Koob signing off from the Dark Talk Media Studios. We'll catch you next time on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Perfect. Clock it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.